to be in Luke's Gospel this evening. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. And as we come close to the days of where we get to celebrate Easter, to celebrate Resurrection Sunday and what Jesus Christ did for us, I want to not just encourage you guys, I want to inform you that you may go out and be, that you may leave here transformed. And so as I was preparing this message, as I was thinking about this message, I thought about a message that I heard years ago. A message I heard years ago, which he used three chairs, three chairs as an example. And it was like a progression, degression of where you were at. So it was almost like a heart check. He said, you're either in chair number one, either in chair number two, or you went in chair number three. And so the perspectives that he gave, he asked the question, can you relate to this? And chair number one described the man who was on fire for the Lord, the man who was all in 100%. Despite sufferings, despite persecutions, despite trials that come his way, he is 100% in for the Lord, 100%. Chair number two described the man who was on the fence, who was neither hot nor cold, but wasn't full on 100%. But then he described chair number three. And this was the man, the individual who fully had forsaken the Lord, had walked away from him, who started out on fire. But then as time grew and trials mounted and persecutions came, he slowly began going on the fence, slowly began backsliding. Then went from backsliding to full on, just I'm done with the Lord. I'm finished, I don't want no, no more of him. I thought about that message as I was preparing for this one. And tonight I want to give us three pictures. And I want us to do a heart check to see where we may lie, to see where we are. Maybe we can relate with all three of these perspectives. Maybe we, we can relate with one of these perspectives. But as we look at these three pictures tonight, I want us to be informed. I want us to be encouraged so that we can be transformed to do for, for his honor, for his glory. And so as we go forward in the Easter, I always think about one particular thief. I always think about the pennant thief. It's one of my favorite stories. The man who sinned for a lifetime and then the final moments of his life, he finds Jesus and his life is radically changed. And then as I started thinking about it, I remembered, Brandon, it wasn't just one thief that was involved in this story. It wasn't just one thief. It was three. So tonight we have three thieves. Tonight, we have three pictures. Tonight, we have three different perspectives. Now, there's a lot of commonalities that you're going to see in this story. Each of these men saw Jesus. Each of these men encountered Jesus, and each of these men had a different response to him. And so, as we are in Luke's gospel, we're going to be taking a look at all three of these thieves 
and I will go ahead and with you and share the points. We have one thief, his name is Barabbas. I would call him, this picture, the unfinished story. We have one thief who was hanging on the cross. We called him the unrepentant scoffer. And then we have, of course, the penitent thief, who we would call, who I would call tonight, the unexpected saint. And so tonight, first one I want to look at is Barabbas, the unfinished story. And so if you're in Luke 23, you want to start reading in verse 13. You want to start reading in verse 13 of Luke 23. The Bible tells us in verse 13, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, rulers, and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I haven't. And behold, I haven't examined him before you have found no fault in, this, fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. So in other words, Pilate here is saying, declaring, Jesus is innocent. I find no fault in him. Verse 15, nor, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent, you to, I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done to him. I would therefore chastise him and release him. Verse 17, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And here's where we are introduced to our first picture, our first character. Verse 18, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedation made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. We have Barabbas who's mentioned. Now, Barabbas is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. The book of Matthew calls him a notable prisoner. The book of Mark relates him to an insurrectionist or revolutionary. John references him as a robber. But here, we're introduced to him who was a murderer, who was cast in, who was a murderer, who was a robber. And yeah, here's the first point I want to make. Barabbas was a sinner. No bones about it. Barabbas was a dirty, rotten sinner. He lied. He stole. He murdered. No ifs, ands, or buts. Barabbas was a sinner. And soon, and soon enough, his sin would catch up to him. For all the stealing that he did, for all the killing that he did, for all the rebellion, he would be arrested. And he would be sentenced to prison. He would be sentenced to death. He was a sinner. He was sentenced to death. But then one day, one day, he was summoned out of prison. He was summoned. The guards came to his cell and called him out. Barabbas, come. He was put in front of a crowd. He was put in front of a crowd along with Jesus. And the choice was made. Do you choose Jesus or do you choose Barabbas? And with maliciousness and heinousness, the crowd chose Barabbas. He was selected by the crowd. 
Pilate tried to set him free. He's innocent. What evil has he done? But yet the Bible tells us they cried, crucify him, crucify him. He was selected by the crowd, this dirty, rotten sinner who was sentenced to death, who was summoned out of prison, was selected by the crowd, who was, and I put this in heavy quotations, saved. Saved by Jesus. And so why do I call Barabbas the unfinished story? Well, years ago, I remember... I had the opportunity of teaching a children's church lesson, and I actually talked about Barabbas. I mentioned some of the same points. He was a sinner. He was sentenced to death. And then he got saved, quote, unquote, saved from prison because of Jesus. Sadie Martin was her name. Little girl. Of course, this was my best friend Stewart's church where he was teaching at. He was a youth pastor, and the one thing he warned me of was, Brandon, be prepared because those little kids are going to ask you questions. So I'm like, oh, this is, okay, I'm prepared, I'm ready, let's go, I'm excited. Well, Sadie Martin comes up to me after the lesson. Of course, very sweet girl, she's like, Brandon, Mr. Brandon, that was such a good lesson, thank you so much. I have a question. All right. It's the opportunity, I've been waiting for this. What's your question? And she looked me in the eye, she asked me, what happened to Barabbas after Jesus set him free? I was not prepared for that. My temptation was, ask Mr. Stewart. He's about to run away because he doesn't want to answer this question. He's totally kidding. But no, I gave her an answer. The Bible doesn't tell us. There's a lot that we could Yes, the obvious one is Barabbas probably went back to his old life. He went back to stealing. He went back to killing. He went back to lying. The fact that Jesus set him free had no effect on him. And then there's the possible, possible choice that what Jesus did changed Barabbas' life, and he changed his life. And yet, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Church history doesn't tell us that. We know nothing of what happened to Barabbas after Jesus Christ set him free. He is what I would call the unfinished story. But then, of course, he's not the only thief that I want to talk about. There's two more. There are two more thieves verse 39 in Luke's gospel. We're introduced to two more, but I want to talk about the one right now. The one who I would call the unrepentant scoffer. The unrepentant scoffer. Like Barabbas, he is mentioned in all four gospels. He's mentioned as a criminal. He's mentioned as a thief. A murderer because in order to steal and get away with it, you have to kill. A transgressor. More than that, he was a mocker, a scoffer, a railer, and a reviler. Verse 39 
is evidence of that. It says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Those are the only statements that he made. In Matthew 27, 40 to 44, and in Mark 15, 29 to 32, we see the crowd making statements such as that. If you be Christ, come off of the cross. You trust in God. Let him deliver you, seeing that you are the son of God. Guess what this unrepentant scoffer did? Joined right along with the crowd. He was unrepentive in his words, unrelenting, unremorseful. In his thoughts, he was unrepentive. With his words, he was unrepentive. Kept saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. You trust in God. Let him deliver you. You realize that he was using his final breaths, the last moments of his life, to mock Christ. The final breaths to revile on Jesus. Totally unrepentant in his heart. In the face of death, literally shaking his fist at God. He was unrepentant. An unrepentant scoffer. And then we have the penitent thief. We have the penitent thief who I will call the unexpected saints. The one we never would have thought. All the years, all the years, all the sins that he has done, no way he could ever get saved. No way he could ever get right with God. And yet we have his testimony. Verse 40 is where it starts. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, we deserve it. For we have received a due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. Verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Verse 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Every Easter there's a book that I try and read. It's called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. The author, what he did in this book was he wanted to look at the crucifixion from the perspective of the penitent thief. One of my favorite quotes from this book I want to read to you to put into perspective the testimony of the penitent thief. It goes like this. Seeing what Jesus suffered and hearing him cry out in agony had a profound effect on me. From childhood, I had, been, I had been told that God's law was given to show us our sins. That's true, but I have to tell you that the clearest view I ever got of the ugliness of my sins was not in reading the Ten Commandments, but in being near to Jesus in that awful darkness on the cross. I began to see that if my sins caused him so much suffering, they must be very 
great indeed. I learned to hate my sins at the cross. The rebellion that once tasted sweet, the covetous heart that once drove me forward, my hatred and unbelief toward God, and my self-will desired all seemed ugly and repulsive to me as I saw what they had done to Jesus. His cry of anguish tore me apart. If he was given up for my sins, what sin would I, would I, would I not give up for him? That took hold of me. My greatest desire was to be done with any and every sin that had ever gained a foothold in my life. I found myself longing to be holy, to be filled with the love that I'd seen in Jesus' eyes, and to live a life that would please him. I only had a few hours left for that. I hope you have that much longer. The penitent thief. He, like the others, were mentioned in all four Gospels. He was a thief. He's a malefactor. He joined in with the crowd and started mocking him, scoffed at him, reviled him. He, too, was a criminal. You see, when I was younger, I could never connect it. I read about these two. I read about the penitent thief, and I never connected that the one who reviled him and the one who finally got it right were the same person. But he was all these things. But however, as we come to Luke, we see an unexpected twist. We see an unexpected twist. He first started out reviling him, mocking him. And then there was the ha-ha moment. And he said, this man is innocent. He has done nothing. We deserve the just dues of our sins. And with this final breath, asking, Lord. And guess what? That's where it started. He called him Lord. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And to hear that promise from Jesus today, this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. I love the penitent thief because the penitent thief is a clear reminder of what God can do in a single day. The penitent thief is a clear reminder of what God can do in a matter of hours. You see, we serve a God that is not bound by time. He doesn't need days, weeks, months. He can do it in seconds and hours. He is not bound by resources like we are. We are bound by time. We are bound by resources. He is not. He owns everything. He is eternal. He is not bound. But the penitent thief is a reminder of what God can do in a single day and of what God can do in a matter of hours. We may say deathbed confession, of deathbed conversion. Possibly. But I tell you what, this was a man who saw Jesus for the first time. And his life did a complete 180. He saw Jesus for the first time ever. And his life did a complete 180. The only promise that Jesus gave him, the only promise, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was enough to sustain him for the last hours on the cross. He didn't have time to get off the cross and say, hey, can we stop this crucifixion? I want to be baptized. Can we stop this crucifixion? 
I want to go on a mission trip. Can we stop this crucifixion? I want to teach a Sunday school. I want to start a church. He didn't have that time. But what he did was he took that promise from Jesus. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he did not let go. And that promise that Jesus gave him was enough to sustain him for the next few hours. Now we have these three pictures, these three perspectives, these three thieves. One is an unfinished story. One is an unrepentant scoffer. One is the unexpected saint. So you may ask the question, how are you going to tie this in? What does this have to do with me? When you think about the unexpected saints, of course he only had six hours left to live. Less than that. And he says, I hope you have much longer than that. We have been given more than six hours. We have been given much more time. And so I asked the question, what will you do with Christ and for Christ with the time that you have left? Is it possible that we have lost time because we have wasted time? We have spent time wrongly going after the temporal, the things that are going to die, the things that are going to be things of yesterday. Have we spent that time chasing after that instead of chasing after the eternal? Have we wasted our time when we have been given so much time to do more for God and to do more for Jesus Christ, to do more for the kingdom? When we look at the unexpected saints, what will we do with Christ and for Christ with the time that we have left? Will we keep chasing? Will we chase after the eternal? But anything about the unrepentant scoffer, all of this began in the heart. So I ask you tonight, where is your heart? Even so, how is your heart? We may say, oh, that can never happen to me. That can never happen to me. I have heard it so many times when I've gone to camps before. Even when I was younger, teens would say, you know what, it will never happen to me. It will never happen to me. That situation, those circumstances can come and I will never turn my back on God. I will never turn my back on God. And in their young 20s, where are they? They're completely away from the Lord. Completely away. So I ask you tonight, where is your heart? How is your heart? Have circumstances, trials, have they caused you to ride the fence? Have they caused you to say, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. Where is your heart? And then we have the unfinished story. We have the unfinished story. That question that that little girl asked. Whatever happened to Barabbas after Jesus set him free? Let me ask, do people know you because of what God has done for you and in you? I mean, we know nothing of Barabbas with, what, with the exception of what we have in Scripture. We know nothing after, his, after that. We don't know what happened to him. He's a blemish. 
people ask him, hey, what has changed in your life ever since Jesus came in? What are you going to tell them? Do people know you because of what God has done in and for you? With these three perspectives, maybe one of us can relate to one. I would confess that I relate to all three of them. As I look back, I see there has been a lot of times that I have chased after the temporal instead of the internal. As I look back, I can see that there have been many times that I have allowed my circumstances and my trials to make me scoff at God, to mock him, to complain to him instead of praise him. And then there are many times I can relate to him. I can relate to Barabbas, the unfinished story. Do people know me because of what Jesus has done in and for my life? Am I talking about it? Am I praising him with my lips? Do people know? Let me end this on a good note. Let's remember, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to redeem. And this Sunday, we could be reminded that there is still hope. The tomb is still empty. For the one who wasted time, we serve a God who's great at redeeming it. We serve a God who is great at redeeming it. For the one who is the unrepentant scoffer, there is still hope. He could turn your scoffing into praise. He can turn it around. But for the unfinished story, remember you still have time. Your story is still being written. And God can do more with you in six hours than you ever can imagine. Because he's not bound by time. He's not bound by resources. He is eternal. He owns everything. There is still hope. So let me ask you tonight, as we look at these perspectives, as we look at these pictures, think about it. Where is, it that I re- where is it that I am? Where is it that I can relate? Have I wasted time? Have I scoffed at them? Have I made them known? Let me tell you, there's still hope because we serve a God who is still risen, who is still alive today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and the challenge. I pray, Father, that as we look at this perspective, as we look at your word, that we have been challenged and that we will leave out of here transformed. I pray that we will not leave the same way that we came in. But most of all, Father, you are the one who came to seek and to save. And because of that, there is hope beyond the grave. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. May this prepare us as we head into our Easter emphasis. Father, there is still hope. There is still hope for those who come on our campus who may not know you as Lord and Savior. May they, as the penitent thief, come to the knowledge of knowing you as Lord and Savior before it's too late. 
thank you that you can redeem not just our story, but you can redeem our time. And Father, may in everything that we say and do, may we lift and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.